invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, 21 through 24. We conclude today this book of the Bible. We finished it up, most of it, except for this passage just before Advent. And next Sunday, we'll begin in the middle of Genesis, picking up that great book of salvation history among the patriarchs, where we see the grace of God displayed. And now this last benediction from the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians, but also to us. And we read there in Ephesians 6 and verse 21, but that you may also know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. This is the written and the inerrant word of God. Oh Lord, we come before you and we pray that we will hear a good word from your very lips as you speak to us through scripture and engender in our heart the very faith you would want from us. Give that gift to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we conclude our study of the letter of Ephesians, we go to these four verses which convey a benediction throughout. The benediction is not limited to those formal words in 23 through 24, which contain the words peace to the brothers and grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 24. Grace and peace are definitely part of good words. They are part of the introduction of many letters. It says in Ephesians 1-2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we definitely need grace. We need peace as we move into this new year. But here, the benediction is all those verses... And it is expressed also in the deeds which were done by the Apostle Paul in sending Tychicus. You see, there is a benediction of truth. There is an impartation of a spiritual blessing by the recitation in a context of a community of faith to people who believe the words. There is objective blessing given by the recitation of truth, such as what we find in 23 and 24. But it is also linked in any true church to the practical, loving expression of good words by deeds. And so those deeds also carry the good, bena, good, diction, words, benedictions, are good things which come to us by truth and in action. And so we consider here the comfort of concern and caring, verses 21 to 22. Peace, love, with faith from God the Father in Christ. Verse 23. 
And grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus in eternity. Verse 24. As you consider with me that first point found in verse 22 and 21 and 22, I want to ask you, do you come out of this year sometimes feeling a little beaten up? Do you feel like not all of the issues of your life have been tied off with a nice bow and that everything can be put on the shelf, just like we're going to put the Christmas decorations away and bring them out next year? I sure wish all the details of my life were wrapped up and I could put them to rest for a while. But that's not the way my life has ever worked. And I would doubt whether you have gotten through this year with every matter totally settled. And then in addition to matters unsettled, there could be specific matters of pain. There could be matters of brokenness that are spiritual in their source, but are manifest in relationships and made clear through an emotional life that isn't what it should be because maybe there's a spiritual thing going on. And then there are the matters of uh, relational uh, grief that don't necessarily relate to our sin. It's just simply because we live in a fallen world and there are people around us who are not believing in Jesus Christ and we continue to be the objects of their scorn and their disrepute. And so today, I want you to know there is a God there out in the reality of this congregation right now because where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. Jesus is right here today, okay? And he cares about you. And he has a concern for you. And one of the ways he showed that concern is by leaving this text, not by my plan. I just was planning out the sermons and boom, it hit on the 31st. And I said, wow, a great text for the end of the year is the end of this book. Because God is concerned for you. Look at how the Apostle Paul says this about Tychicus. I have sent whom I have sent to you, verse 22, for this very purpose that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Now, as we will see later in the sermon, there is a time for warning. And the Apostle Paul has given it earlier in this letter. And we'll get to that soon enough. But I want you to know, I want you to receive the grace of Christ and the comfort of Christ as you trust in Jesus today. In other words, I'm believing that you're believing. Now, you could prove me wrong by leaving this place in an unbelieving heart, but I'm going to believe that you are going to believe today. And I'm asking you today to know the comfort of Christ and know that for the Apostle Paul, the concern which was... a given to him by these people, the Ephesians, was known because he says in a presumptuous way, verse 21, but that you also may know my affairs and know how I'm doing. doing. He is assuming they want to know. And I don't think he was unduly presumptuous. Perhaps Tychicus had come to him and said, the churches in Asia Minor, they really need to hear from you, Paul. So he wrote a letter to the Colossians, and he wrote a letter to the Ephesians, and this one man carried them both on one trip. 
And he also is ministering personally. And he's ministering in such a way that these people in Ephesus would know his affairs and how he is doing. God is concerned for the Apostle Paul as a leader. He wants these Christians in Ephesus to be praying for Paul, to know his affairs, that he's still under house arrest as he was, that he was there on what was known now as his first Roman imprisonment from 60 or 62 AD, somewhere in there, that he was in chains, not in a dungeon, but in a house chained up with a guard from the Roman imperial guard, that this imprisonment was keeping him from traveling, but allowed him to witness to some of the people who even went into the imperial household. And the buzz in the imperial household, as we learned from the first chapter of Philippians, was that, that, that Christ is alive and that Paul is in chains for Christ. And that was a witness that was going on. That's his affairs. And then how is he doing? That's how do you cope with what is happening. And I want us to understand that as we go back and look at some verses here from Ephesians, I'm going to be reviewing a a few key verses today. I want you to know in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You see, God has chosen us. He has adopted us and he has adopted us to himself. There is a personal connection there. He is adopting us that we would be in his family as sons through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. You are precious to him. That is a truth I want you to know. And as you consider how you are doing, and as Paul considered how he was doing, he was taking his affairs of life, his ongoing imprisonment, and he was coping with it with a concern for others. Paul's primary concern was for the church. Paul wants Tychicus to comfort them in the challenges of their life. As Marcus Bart puts it, Paul does not worry about his chains that tie him or about his own comfort, but only about the Ephesians lest they be left without reassurance and consolation. That's Thomas Aquinas. And Bart goes on to say, since he is unable to leave his present location in prison in Rome, he sends to them more than good words. He could have just sent the letter and get it there somehow, but he didn't do that. He sent the letter and he sent an intimate friend and companion to visit them. Now, you know, in the ancient world, when you went to prison, you didn't necessarily get three squares a day. You had your friends come and feed you. So when Tychicus left, I don't know who else was going to be feeding Paul. I'm assuming he didn't die because he went on to minister other places. But I want you to know that there is 
a sense of sacrifice. When you have a, a beloved brother, he's described here, it says in verse 21, when you have a faithful minister in the Lord who is helping you, it's tough to let that guy go and send him off to do another task. But he did that because he wanted those people to be comforted. And when we have stuff going on in our life, it's good to know our affairs, the affairs of one another, not a nosy body gossiping way, but simply to know what's going on. And then also, how are you doing with that? How am I doing is what Paul says at the beginning of verse 21. And so we, as we care for one another, can ask questions like, how are you doing emotionally? How are you doing physically? How are you doing financially, practically? You see, we have a concern not only for the details of the affairs of someone's life, but how is that hitting you as a believer? How can I pray for you? How can I respond to your need? That's why a church is so important. You don't get this on television. You don't get this by dialing in on the internet. We are a body of believers and when he says here that Tychicus was a faithful minister in the Lord, that word is diakonos, which means to serve. And that was a specific role in the church. There were leaders who were ministers, just like you have in a church, pastors, elders, ministers of the gospel. But the word is broader than that, for it says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And now that word to serve is the word diakonia, which is related to diakonos, you can hear. And so all of us, in a sense, are ministers of the gospel. We may not have an office in the church, but we have a ministry to do. We have a way of serving, even as Jesus said to all his people. You need to be like the Son of Man. You need to humble yourself and serve. I encourage you in the new year to be those who have an interest in others. How are they doing and how are they relating to their affairs? Be agents of comfort. That word comfort there at the end of 22 is the word parakaleo. Parallel, you know, is two lines that are beside each other that go out into infinity. Kaleo, you can hear from the word call. It's a calling alongside. The Holy Spirit calls us alongside of other believers for the long term. We're not called alongside temporarily and then you pop over to some other church and you go to that church and you church hop. You know, I'm not saying you're locked in here for life. We're not a cult, okay? God leads you where you want to go, okay? But I am saying don't be a church hopper either, okay? We are called to come alongside of each other for the long haul, that we comfort one another, that we provide that comfort and succor for the people who need help. It's, it's like a little baby. I, I've had nursing babies in, in my house all week, and it's, it's, it's like every other time, okay? Okay, so we got, they're sucking, okay? That's what succor is. It's, it's, I need help. I'm dependent. I need help. 
And, and it's not in a way that's unhealthy. It's in a healthy way that we care for people. You know, we do live in an often uh, uncaring and degenerate world. Uh, we see in 1 John 5.20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. I want to ask you, are you believing in that true God and his eternal life? Because you're in this world which lies in the power of the evil one. When you do not have Christ on your side, the devil is stronger than you, and he will eat you for lunch. And I'm saying to you, don't leave this year and go into New Year without settling that. Are you trusting in Christ who is true? He is the true God and eternal life. So come this day and come to this gospel, which is a gospel that truly cares for you. And let us be engaged in this personal ministry, which is this benediction of deeds. And then as we move on to verse 23, we see peace, love with faith from God the Father in Christ. And another quote from Bart, when peace is the substance or a substantial element of a final benediction, it is never only the object of a, of a good wish. Rather, peace is pronounced or imposed in the name of God and Christ with all the implications that the messianic peace and God of peace possess. That means when at the end of the service I pronounce the benediction, and if you want to, you can look me in the eye. I'm talking to you right then. I'm not praying to God because God has already commissioned me as a minister of the gospel to say these good words to you. And I want you to know that Jesus says in verse 33 of John 16, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You are going to have tribulation this coming year. You're going to have it. But he has come that you may be of good cheer because he's already overcome that world. It says in 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. God wants you to have peace at your home. God wants you to have peace in your work life, your church life. He wants you to have peace always in every way. Now, you may not have everybody always agreeing with you, but you want to be the kind of person who is so reconciled to God by grace that within you rests a peace so you don't have to respond in kind to people who don't believe and are not bringing peace into your life. Now, think of this. If you turn with me to Romans 5. Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 1. And we're going to pick a couple verses out here. Romans 5 is page 1002 in your pew Bible. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is on that condition that you have faith in Christ, that he is number one in your life. 
that you are justified by him. That means you are given a right standing with God. You therefore have peace with God. That gets this deal nailed down, okay? You don't have enmity with God anymore because as it says in 5 verse 6, for when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's what you and I are. We are the ungodly. He died for us. He died for us so that we would have peace with God, that we would no longer receive condemnation at the last day, but a home in heaven. And then it says why it happened, 5.8 of Romans. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, this is God the Father's idea. He had this love for his people, and he thought this plan up. And Christ was sent to earth that he would die for us in our place, a substitutionary atonement. And then in 5.10 we read, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. You see, that's the reconciling that comes when he paid the penalty for our sin. But then also, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. In other words, we are brought into new life of serving him here on earth and serving him through eternity, through the resurrection power of God. We have peace with God. If you take a look, those ideas are all here. Peace with God, loved by God, faith from God. And those are what happens also in Ephesians chapter 6. Peace and love and faith, if you see it right there at the beginning of verse 23. We receive peace with God because we are loved by God and we have a faith from God. It says it's right there, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We exercise that faith, but faith is the gift of God. Now this peace, according to the book of Ephesians, no individualistic, okay, Jesus and me, perfect together idea. We are a corporate reality, the church of Jesus Christ. And if you turn back in Ephesians and you see the idea of peace, this is one of the distinctives of Ephesians. If you want to file it away, it is this whole idea that God is making peace with a people. And that people includes us who trust in Christ and includes the Gentiles and the Jews. Ephesians 2, 13. But now, in Christ Jesus you who once were far off, he's talking to the Ephesians, they're Gentiles, you get it? They're the far off ones. You who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. See, there's no more enmity this way but there's no more enmity this way because he has removed those ceremonial laws. He's talking about the law of commandments contained in ordinances. He is not abolishing the Ten Commandments. He's not abolishing the moral law, but because his sacrifice at the cross meant there were no more sacrifices in the temple where you needed clean 
animals, that meant the table fellowship was also changed. And the Gentiles and the Jews could get together now, and they could share meals, and they could share life. And this is why unity in the church is so important, because when God unifies us and reconciles us to him, he's doing it this way. We have different backgrounds, different races, different politics, different hobbies, different outlooks on business and labor, different diets, different attitudes. Boy, man, you get your kids coming home for a week. You just run into all kinds of diets. Woo! Okay, sidebar. Different diets and different attitudes about staying healthy. Differences all over the place. And, you know, those differences are really nothing compared to what the Gentiles and the Jews had going. They had different politics, different diets to the max. You couldn't even go in the house with a Gentile and start eating. Differences all over the place with regard to religion. But Paul writes that God made out of all these differences one new man, and that's the church. That's the bride of Christ. Ironically, the man is a woman. The man, the human being, is the bride of Christ. You are one people, and you have been living that beautifully. I'm so thankful for the unity of this church. And I just want to say, we have a big challenge coming before us. I don't talk much about the building project. You notice that? At least, I don't think I do. I'm thinking about it all the time. But I'm saying, this is going to be a challenging year, okay? We're laying on top of an already busy schedule, a building project, which happens like once every 20 years, okay? And we need to pray together for peace, for unity, that we work with each other, that we work through disagreements, that we work through problems, that we do what we can to be bringing about this place where nursery space for children, a senior space in the lobby for senior friendship group and dropping off seniors for uh, worship services, fellowship space, an office for future pastors, a library so that we can tool up with a curated collection. That's going to be the difference with this library. Over there, there's all kinds of books. We're going to have selected books, which we feel as elders, you can trust, okay? And that's gonna be a library for your use. We, we recognize that this challenge is undergirded by the call of the gospel, that we want to be equipped here as a church that glorifies the Father's love that caused salvation, that glorifies the Son's sacrifice that won peace, and glorifies the Holy Spirit who brings us the gift of faith as we see those three items in Ephesians 6 and verse 23. Peace to the brethren, love with faith. And so we conclude with verse 24. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus in eternity. The grace referred to here has been mentioned throughout Ephesians. Just Hop, skip, and a jump with me, please. Ephesians 1, 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It is what we don't deserve that he gives thus this great redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins. And look at 2, 5, where we see the life 
that comes to dead people, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And it says in 2.8 that it is by grace you have been saved through faith and not, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. This removes human merit, for we read in verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then look at 3.7. Consider here, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. God graces us with gifts of ministry. It's not just preachers. All of you who serve God in the church are gifted with the Holy Spirit's grace. We don't just come in here with our bucket of tools and, okay, what can I do, pastor? No, we come here as gifted people by God, and we're looking to serve him. And we see in chapter 3, 8, that we are, the, we see in chapter 4, 7, that we are given uh, this power to, to minister even as we are uh, serving Jesus Christ. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And we are meant to edify others. 4.29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So as we come here to this end of this book, I wanted to highlight one alternate translation which a commentary I respect has suggested. The word there is sincerity. And the word sincerity is literally in the, the Greek language a word which is aftharsia, which means not corrupted or immortal. Not corrupted and immortal. And that is associated with eternity. And in this particular situation, there are parallels in the writings of Philo in ancient Greek. He wasn't a believer, but he was a Greek who used the words of um, the Old Testament uh, well. And he used this word, atharsia, to mean eternity. And this idea of an eternal inheritance is found in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 14, that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And Marcus Bart suggests this translation, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in eternity, because he suggests that at the end of this letter, where God has been glorified through all his work of salvation, the emphasis at the end of the letter isn't, are you believing God enough? Are you loving God in sincerity? The emphasis is rather that God's uh, call to us to love him forever in eternity is going to bring us through all the trials of our life. God has come to you, us in the gospel. God has come to us as he came to those Ephesian Christians in the person of Tychicus to comfort them. God has come to us bringing a good word of peace and love 
and faith. And now he comes to us uh, in this sense that at the end of the day, what is our hope in the future? It is God's grace. It is his power to undergird us and move in our lives to sustain us through the tough times. We look back on this year and we may say, wow, there are some things that I really blew it. And I know I can say that sincerely from my heart. And I want to say to you, if you're in that place of looking forward to 2024 and you think, is, is it just going to be more of the same? More of the same? We need to, in that very moment, trust in God's grace. When, when you blew it in this past year, it wasn't because you were trusting in God's grace too much. It wasn't because you were saying, well, God is good to me, and I'm just going to go and get away with this now because he's filled with grace. No, you weren't thinking about God at all. You were acting, and I was acting, in the flesh. When we glorify the grace of Christ... We're saying, he is strong to save, he will uphold me, he will hold on to me, even when I get so tired, I've lost my grip. Now trust in this grace and trust that it is yours in eternity. And receive this grace and peace of God with love from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ as your benediction for 2024. Let us pray. Lord God, bless these dear saints. Bless all of us that we would trust in you, that we would not rely on our own efforts, our own ability to set things right, but yield. Oh Lord, that we would put on the whole armor of God, that we would be those who put on the breastplate of righteousness, that we would ward off the attacks of the evil one with the shield of faith, that we would be those who gird our waist with truth, resting in the creation of our beings by the living God and the redemption of our bodies and souls by the living Christ, that we would shed our shot our feet with the gospel of peace, that we would rehearse in the morning what you have done for us so we can share it with others. And that we would <coughs> take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, that we would know every thought taken captive to Christ and the word of God on our lips and in our heart. Oh God, bless this congregation and I thank you for them and give them a good 2024 as they trust in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our closing hymn is.